Star Wars Legacy.html is brought to you by the fine folks at Cage Club. So for all things podcasts, movies, music, media, and more, head on over to cageclub.me or like, subscribe, and follow on all of your favorite social media and podcasting services. day a, a padawan away a, a day a, a kyber a kyber crystal it's just far far away ah god damn it this damn it. this is html i'm nico and i'm kevo good thing you told me you were gonna do this bit like before we started recording because i was immediately like all right he's losing it what is he trying to say well obviously we're here to discuss everybody's favorite little orphan annie little orphan annie but this is that sequel everybody forgets where little orphan annie grows up and gets real mean and sassy in this hideous rat tail and then murders everyone in Hooverville. Oh my god, just killed all of them, even the younglings. We're gonna get to that scene because it's like something out of the room. The movie that we are actually here to discuss is 2002's Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. Even from the title, would you really describe this as like Attack of the Clones? Wait, I've been here 15 years and am I the only person who only just figured out that Palpatine is the clones? Get out. So we couldn't do this by ourselves because what we make is madness. And in order to help supplant the madness, we have nonsense. And bringing that nonsense is X's for Podcasts' very own Dylan. Hi, everybody. And X's for Podcasts' also very own and honorary husband and co-host on Rap Battle. This motherfucker, I'm going to just, I'm never going to stop. Never going to stop the love of friends. Anybody here who ever watched Ghost Rider, it's going to be all right. We have, of course, with us the the only Jonah. Hello, everyone. Yes, yes, it is me, the elusive Jonah. You're not that elusive. We can get our hands on you very easily. And by that, I mean, you're always on some show on this network. You drop like, seriously, you drop like 10 episodes a month now. I mean, if you do want to get your hands on me, all you have to do is ask nicely. <laughs> so other than the fact that his first name ain't baby it's Demita joe jonah if you're nasty we are here to talk not just about attack of the clones but i want to point out that star wars finally remembered that 50 percent of the world is women at some point and decided to produce a series of shorts dedicated to the awesomeness that are the women of the star wars franchise now admittedly i'm being a little severe but i believe it's something like there's only three named women in the entire first trilogy. It's like Leia, Grandmos, Tyslark, Aunt Peru. Aunt Peru. <laughs> she died for your sins, man. Come on. We lift them up to the force. Give us thanks to the Aunt Peru force ghost. And then, of course, Lady Mothman. <laughs> yes, that's it. The Mothman prophecy. That's what I was, I was like. Grandmos, Tyslin. It's just the captain and Tennille. I was so close. Anyway, we're here to discuss Forces of Destiny, Season 2, Episode 10 monster madness this series as soon as we started watching this episode we were like oh this is actually for children this is for babies okay it's cute though it's fun and i think that it's an audience that has a love for star wars even if they don't really understand the war part you know every adult man 
man is making his children watch Star Wars. It's how we both first watched it. So I think it's a very clever idea, and I think it's really cool that they wanted to highlight all of the badass female characters of the Star Wars universe. And that brings me to one of the most important questions, guys. When Padme, is it Padme or Amidala? Am no, it's I, Padme. It is Padme. I'm not being like Queen Sist by calling her the wrong name. I think Amidala is either her last name or something like it's her regency name. So like her first name has always been Padme. And I think her last name used to be Nayberry. So it's like popes. It's not just that like every pope has conveniently been named John Paul. It's like they're all just like, are like oh, what a cool name. Let me be named. John Paul. So guys, when Padme shot down that giant cage and was like, I'm just going to kill some poachers, where did you guys go? Did you guys also think, aw, she and Anakin are perfect for one another? It did make me slightly think of Annie and his little, um, well, I guess they're not little, but his ten- temper tantrums. Ah. <laughs> his little temper tantrums, you know, the one where he kills all the kids. I thought it was okay, if nothing but cliche, considering I saw that coming from a mile away. I was like, oh, it's going to be a mom. It's going to have a baby inside. Oh, look, there's the baby. Oh, the baby's free. Oh, look, the mom stopped. I wish the storytelling to give characterization to Padme was done in a less overused story. So you were not looking for Fern Gully, the last Jedi? No. 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 So at the end of the day, this was just kind of a fun little short to empower Padme. I think it's important because Padme's sense of agency in these films is pretty questionable. And I like that the Forces of Destiny series works out of order and just kind of spotlighting strong women throughout canon. I could probably Probably use a bit more definitive material for Padme in this time. Kevo, I believe there might have been a little bit of bridge material that was ultimately deemed canon. Yes, there's one novel that's already out called Queen's Shadow that talks about what Padme did between episodes one and two, including looking for Anakin's mom on Tatooine and freeing a few slaves in the process. And there's another Padme novel, but I'm not sure at what point that's going to be set. There's not a lot of material exploring the 10 years in between episodes one and two currently there's only a couple of comic book issues i think that's kind of weird too that there is so much material that you could be mining story from there and that no one's tried to explore it yet because i don't think there's even much in the expanded universe which is so interesting because that seems like a really formative 10 years i'm probably more interested in the journey that led Anakin to those moments of darkness than I am in necessarily the pivotal joist point. I have kind of a roundtable question for the group. Are there any stories in that 10-year gap between the end of Phantom Menace and the beginning of Attack of the Clones you sort of wish were highlighted? I know for my own sake, I would want to see how Obi-Wan balanced continuing his own Jedi training and searching with leading Anakin this would have been his first time as a master with an apprentice. And I know there is an Obi-Wan comic where we see that, but it's a one shot. And I would be looking for kind of like a, a more significant run on that. 
I agree with that because that is certainly something that takes a long time to figure out the balance from. And we can see from this movie that it seems Obi-Wan still doesn't have it quite down. You can see the way that Anakin recoils every single time Obi-Wan refers to him as Padawan. Like in that really, sorry bro, but kind of condescending way. And he keeps pointing out how young Anakin is. And... You know, I don't think that it's as extreme as Anakin's reaction warrants, but he isn't giving Anakin a ton of credit for everything that he has been through. And I don't think that that helps. And I'd like to see more of Obi-Wan struggling with figuring out how to be better unless he's just a dick and doesn't care. But then that's not fun. Was there anything from the period between episodes one and two that the two of you would be curious to see more stories about either from them or Padme or anything else? Like Sheev, Grandpa Palpy, what's he up to? I know a lot of people would probably not want this, but I would like to know more about what Jar Jar has been doing because I really don't like the fact that in this movie, Padme is going to disappear for a while and she leaves her seat to Jar Jar. Why? Why? I No, I don't understand why we're giving our seat to Jar Jar. Sith Lord Jar Jar! Sith Lord Jar Jar! And I think it's again a failing of episode one where I think George Lucas believes he portrayed a stronger relationship between those two characters in episode one. As I was studying the movie, her friendship with Jar Jar is what inspired her to go to the Gungans for help. I was like, fucking really? What? And then I guess they've been friends still for this entire 10 years, as you point out, to the point where she leaves him as her substitute delegate, basically, in the Senate. What the heck? We see him in one episode of Clone Wars that I know of, and he behaves a little bit like a buffoon then, too. What is it about this character that he is trusted with that sort of power after all this time? I would like to see the story of when Obi-Wan fell into that pit that Anakin had to save him out of. Where's that story? Especially because something I noted watching this movie is, and again, it's Obi-Wan being too hard on Anakin, but it does seem like Obi-Wan falls into his own fair share of trouble frequently. I am sure that he is just as culpable for falling into that nest of Gundarks. For as much as he scolds Anakin for being rash when that robot flies away from the scene of Padme's assassination attempt, he throws himself out the goddamn window. That was uh, pretty intense. That's nuts. But in a serious note, I would like to see Padme's time as a senator. Ten years is a long time to have and hold a position like that. And the stories of her navigating the transition of queen to senator and dealing with politics that way, I think really would have bridged the characterization gap that she had. And, you know, speaking of characterization gaps, I kind of want to talk about a weird disconnect we have with reality on a fictional level. I don't know that everybody would, like, super root for Harry Potter if they were in the Hogwarts universe. I feel like they'd be like, this goddamn kid came out of nowhere, and he gets everything, and he's allowed to break all the fucking rules. I think I might want to see a story from the point of view of, like, the Jedis that Anakin is like, oh, everybody, we gotta make a little bit of, oh, this guy's just, like, pushing my Jedi mat out of the way. 
He just like, do you see this kid? He just like pushed my Jedi mat. Okay, little Lord Vanani. Because they also have musicals here. And he's like, no, please, sir. I want some more Jedi mats. And they're like, no, little Lord Vanani. And he's like, but who will buy this wonderful saber? I'm so- Crystal. Crystal. Oh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't think. No, that's Life is a House. The movie where Hayden Christensen has a drug problem <laughs> is Life is a House. You want to buy some death sticks? <laughs> I want to see Annie on Angel Dust. I want to see how all this training shook out, that it resulted in such a dynamically fucked dynamic. Like, was he just being super bullied WB's Black Sash style? I don't understand. In like, this film, Annie is played by Corey Sevier. And in one of the comics, we see a little bit of, you know, kids are bullying him for having been a slave, which gross. And if that's really happening, then why is the Jedi Order not stepping in? Like, are these kids that you want to be Padawans? It's, again, portraying a very toxic environment of the Jedi Order. So, not just a K-pop band, Kevo, hit me with that BTS. Yeah, I do think that every time now, and it makes me sad because I love behind-the-scenes stuff, like Power to BTS, but I hit it first. I didn't. There's not a ton of BTS on the writer-director because, like, this is all he was doing during this six-year period. George Lucas was just making these movies. John Williams, on the other hand, of course, is just an unstoppable juggle-nopter, and in... And in the time between episodes one and two, he did the score for Angela's Ashes, uh, The Patriot, uh, AI, Artificial Intelligence, which was his 17th collaboration with Steven Spielberg, and Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, which was his fourth collaboration with Christopher Columbus. When I saw right under this that episode two was his third collaboration with George Lucas, I didn't really know what the fuck was happening, and then I remembered that it's organized by director and george lucas didn't direct episodes five and six i'm sorry really quick okay. we're his first three collaborations with christopher Columbus. no no you're not funny you're not funny you're not funny you're so fucking proud of yourself I'm just happy it's not Liam Neeson taking jokes. <laughs> he only up, has one line in the movie. Nico can't really, so can. you know, take the joke that far. No, but I was rather <laughs> taken by it. I quit. He says three words. One of them is the same word twice, and the other one, it doesn't even sound like him. It sounds like that part in Be Prepared from the original Lion King, where Jeremy Irons threw out his voice, so he was taken over by Jim Cummings for the final verses of the song. And, like, even if you don't realize it until you're an adult, once you hear it, you're like, oh, that's not Jeremy Irons, is it? Like, I don't know why he shouts no like a Muppet. No! <laughs> that whole part's weird to me anyway. Why is, what's happening there? We'll get there, but like, what's happening? I am genuinely sorry that I lost it at, at that. Um. <clears throat> so, Jerry Goldsmith, a lot of collaborations. Please continue. 
I wish Jerry Goldsmith had ever worked on the Star Wars universe. He didn't. God bless. For those who don't remember, Jerry Goldsmith was the composer on a number of the compositions in the Alien and Predator universe, as well as the man responsible for some of the most significant and memorable pieces of Star Trek score ever. And... We stand him pretty hard on this show, so I just wanted to give that little shout out to another space composer. But seriously, John Williams is so synonymous with Star Wars. Like, I can't imagine Star Wars without John Williams' epic orchestrations reminding me the stakes at every turn. I read something today where George Lucas once described John Williams' work as the special sauce of the Star Wars universe, and I was like, yeah. Yeah, yep, okay. I don't necessarily think that McDonald's wouldn't be successful without the special sauce, but it brings something unique to the franchise that certainly elevated it above and beyond what it could have achieved otherwise. And that's certainly what John Williams' music is for this world. Dylan, I know you think of score as an intrinsic part of media. Do you have fond memories of John Williams' work on Star Wars? The one thing that I think that was done so consistently between all nine Star Wars movies and even pretty well done in TV shows, even if they weren't done by him, was how great the scoring was on the movies and shows because they seem to tell the story or help tell the story just or even in some cases like these first three episodes tell the story better than the actual movie does the scoring in everything star wars i feel like i wouldn't be surprised if someone is like even if this movie is crap we need to make sure the scoring is great because i feel like it's been pretty well done in everything star wars it's like the music is the force of this story. It's kind of like the lifeblood that is the underrunning current of everything that's happening. Correct. Jonah, you came to Star Wars late in life. So for you, does this kind of explain some of the fervor about the music or? Yes, I actually think the music is probably one of the best things about the Star Wars universe in that it's really satisfying to the ear there's something just about the score throughout the entirety of the films that just makes you excited i think they portray the emotions of the scenes really well with the music and that's one thing i knew going into it that star wars has one of the best scores and soundtracks and whatnot and i was really not disappointed at all on the subject of Star Wars and music, does anybody remember when it was rumored that NSYNC was going to cameo in this movie? Because I did not until I was rereading about that. I don't remember that. Oh, I remember. That was like the NSYNC or at McDonald's even kind of thing. Like, you could not escape them. They were every fucking where. It was December 2001 and it was rumored that members were filmed as extras in Attack of the Clones. And... It came out that three band members were given background parts and like there were all these like different stories flying around and people were like pissed comparing uh, people have compared the reactions to the way people freaked out over Jar Jar or the Ewoks. Saturday Night Live even did a sketch about it and that a lot of people say is ultimately why anything that they were filmed in was cut. George Lucas did this for his daughters and 
and a Lucasfilm spokesperson, Lynn Hale, has denied that Lucas cut the scenes due to fan reactions, saying that the final edit of the film is what he determines it to be. But like, no, no, it's <laughs> especially knowing that he went into writing the script for this movie with a lot of hesitation after the mixed critical response to Phantom Menace. I find it very hard to believe that he didn't cut in sync because fans got mad. And the production schedule on these was like one right into the next, into the next. I don't know that there was a whole lot of time for George Lucas between episode one, two, and three, despite the number of years between the films. Well, and part of it is he took a little while to get back to writing and did not finish a rough draft for episode two until March of 2000, which was only three months before the start of principal photography. The third and final draft wasn't finished until one week before the start of principal photography. That's really wild, though you hit something that you brought up in your notes that I thought was really funny that I would be remiss to let go. So this movie came out in 2002 and was a sequel. And I believe you came across something kind of funny about sequels in 2002. Oh, it was a big year for sequel movies because that is also when Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers came out and when Harry Potter, The Chamber of Secrets came out. That one was after this, which is why it wasn't in my John Williams filmography. But yeah, so a bunch of twos. It's also the year that Spider-Man came out, the Tugboat Maguire version. And this was the first time that Star Wars did not earn the highest box office sales of the year. Instead, it finished fourth behind the before-mentioned films. That's because everyone saw episode one. I mean, you're joking, but also at the same time, kind of, yeah. People weren't sure at all what to expect after seeing that. Now that the little kid had been replaced, they weren't sure it was going to be any better. No, and I think one of the more confusing parts was Attack of the Clones. Cloning was a major thing in the news just Mm. before this. and Dolly. Yeah, I'm not trying to be too silly about this, but I feel like not really knowing what the clones were and how the the Attack of the Clones, the title was weird after the last title was misleading. The first three movies, Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, like there were things that made sense in those titles, but Phantom Menace, weird fucking title, followed by Attack of the Clones. And then there was a lot of fervor made about the fact that Clone Wars was coming. And even if people got wrong what the quote-unquote real Phantom Menace of episode one was there was a phantom menace that people were able to attach to the film through darth maul attack of the clones people didn't know how clones were going to factor in and then all of a sudden they show up and it turns out they're the quote-unquote good guys i think this was one of the first times for me that i started to feel really thrown by the star wars universe in a negative way for all the bad quote-unquote things about phantom menace you know it could have been so much worse it really could have and that's just what you have to keep telling yourself in order to sleep at night (laughs) but attack of the clones when when they showed up i was like this is what the clone wars were the whole time i don't follow i think that did feed into a lot of reactions to the film i also had never considered something before kevo you asked me at this afternoon but i wonder if there really was a mistake in not recasting natalie portman between films by keeping the same padme but recasting anakin once 
it kind of puts a disconnect between the first and second movie. Maybe that's on purpose, but then it also kind of ties back to it. That can't be on purpose. I don't know. Obi-Wan could have stayed the same. I feel like it would have made Padme's youth in the first episode contrast a lot more with being 10 years older in the second episode. And then, you know, I wonder if the Clone Wars should have been longer. I think one of the weirdest things that I'm discovering about studying Star Wars so much is how short these major galactic wars are you know any war any length is perhaps too long but especially on such a grand scale i would have imagined some of these conflicts would be much longer the war with the separatists is only about three years and the war of the rebellion against the empire is only about four that's not really a lot of time and i think that having anakin grow a lot more over the course of the prequels and padme then as well maybe would have helped flesh out those stories help make those characters feel a little bit more lived in they are already characters that we know existed and are you know dead by the time we get to them at the end of episode six so it doesn't matter how long their story takes to tell in the past This is the first time I've ever seen this film, and one of the things that struck out to me the most was Anakin's extreme courtmanship of Padme. It was so direct and uncomfortable at times that I don't understand it at all. Courtship is a kind word for it. I would even call it pursuit. Heated pursuit of Padme. He like he really could not keep it in his pants from the moment he saw her and it was just weird. You were nice to me once when I was 6, so now I touch myself when I think about you and now you're in front of me. So I'm going to try to touch you. This is my emoting voice. You can tell because of all of the feelings in it. Anakin telling Padme you've gotten even more beautiful and it's one of the funniest things because Natalie Portman looks like she's filming this the next day after The Phantom Menace. Yeah, again, that's part of the problem. She hasn't aged in 10 years. I know that it's just supposed to be like a young boy being absolutely infatuated with her, but his eyes, every time he's in a scene with her and like she walks into a different direction and he follows her, they're the rapiest eyes. And I feel like George Lucas was trying to replicate a lot of the Han and Leia dynamic where, you know, there was, there were sparks and, you know, don't look at me that way. It makes me uncomfortable. But like, George, it was creepy when you did it in 19. 19- it's not better in 2002 and these actors are not as dynamic and powerful as harrison ford and carrie fisher well one of them is but you're kind of beating the emotion out of her that's like the only thing that the jedi order did to annie they beat the emotion out of him but not the boners Something I found out, shout out to my roommate Joe, who told me this. Padme and Anakin were based off of this couple from a movie that was about love during war. And that was the whole idea of what they were being based off of. And the movie that they were, this relationship was based off of is like critically acclaimed and amazing because the way that they fell in love was through their common interest of wanting to win. And it felt like a more natural love. The love between Anakin and Padme felt so forced. And I don't know what was going on because in my mind, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for Padme 
to want to get with Anakin. And that's even part of my central argument against it. We're supposed to be like, look at them fall in. Oh, he just serial murdered. Oh, oh, including the younglings. Like my only answer is abs. Like he actually needed to be incredibly handsome for it to make sense as to why she was like, why am I even indulging this? But Ewan McGregor is right there. <laughs> yeah, but he's doing his job. And he not have the good hair yet. Annie! Annie! Anakin! Maybe she was, yeah, I don't, maybe she, Padme's not into beards. Yeah, no, this was Jesus hair. Mm, mm-hmm. No, that beard is, that beard is crumtrilescent. That beard is fortuitous. No, this is the one where he looks like Jesus. He looks a lot better in episode three. Fine, I guess we can't put it off any longer. Let's get through episode two so I can get to a good looking Obi-Wan. <laughs> I think we need to immediately jump in with what is one of the most awkward introductions to a character in a really big way. You know, I think about this Aaron Sorkin quote where he says, it's important that we not do a big thing badly. And I feel like introducing the first adult relatable version of Darth Vader, who's meant to be someone we identify with in like a whiny... kind of way was ridiculous he sometimes sounds like one of the parents on peanuts and i really just can't help thinking about other actors like jonathan brandis ryan Philippi, paul walker leonardo dicaprio even colin hanks that's right that hanks all of these actors auditioned for Anakin Skywalker, and I just wonder if literally any of them might have just played the character a little bit. I feel bad saying the word better, but it's the word I want to use, and it's just, it's true. Natalie Portman said that she felt that Hayden Christensen could simultaneously be scary and really young, and... <laughs> I don't know if that's a compliment. <laughs> All of the range of a Menendez brother. <laughs> I mean, yeah, both of those comments right there. But the first thing we actually see in this movie is a woman who's not Padme getting blown up. <laughs> and I also believe she's not Kira Knightley. I don't think so. I don't remember, but I mean, probably not. I wouldn't have just come back to get blown up. Maybe she did, though. God bless. But then after that, we are very quickly reintroduced to the core characters of The Phantom Menace, specifically Padme Amidala, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and uh, side rat tail boy himself, Anakin Skywalker. Annie! Annie! Does he call him Annie in this movie? I don't know, but I really find that like weird shout he does at him really memorable you know this opening sequence this opening like 30 minute action movie weirdly plotted but really beautiful and a lot of fun if attack of the clones were a video game this is definitely the tutorial into the first chapter where you get your major power up that the game doesn't let you skip i really did feel like they were trying to introduce me to anakin skywalker before i saw a pivotal moment that changed him. They wanted to give me an adventure sequence to become excited about this guy because I did walk away from The Phantom Menace not excited about Anakin Skywalker. I walked away from The Phantom Menace kind of confused as to why I was supposed to care about that character in that story. He was the little kid that wouldn't stop saying oops. 
And I appreciated kind of throwing him into a weird sort of force-driven Fast and the Furious film in space right off the bat. I do think that they maybe rushed us a little bit quickly to the chase through Coruscant without a lot of groundwork being laid before it. Not that I don't enjoy the sequence, but especially given how long it goes on for. And then even when they crash, there's still the sequence where they're chasing the bounty hunter through the bar. Like, that sequence I feel is longer than any amount of time that we had spent with the characters so far. And I understand where immediately thrust I understand where immediately thrust into action frequently in these Star Wars films. But when we're coming back to characters that we're used to, I would want to see a little bit more interaction between them. Kind of like in Empire Strikes Back, which we'll get to. There's action stuff early on in the film, but there's also a lot of quieter moments where we see the characters interact interacting in ways that aren't awkward, like one of them fumbling over how beautiful the other is, and her looking mortally terrified. Like, that's the thing. Is she supposed to look charmed? Because she looks, like, disgusted, and it takes a really long time for her to get over that. You can almost hear the imposing sound of his erection. And the impending restraining order. <laughs> Jonah, I know that you had a lot to say about how horny Anakin is. What did you make of this yes, it reunion? <laughs> Annie, hoard me, Padme. It is absolutely ridiculous that Anakin, like, can't control himself. And I get it. He's a 19-year-old boy. His hormones are going through it. He's been tortured by the Jedi. Not really tortured, but for lack of a better phrase, because I don't think it's much. It's maybe, like, one degree above torture. Like, it's so bizarre. And it's... Something about the way that Anakin is written seems wrong because Anakin doesn't talk like anybody, like at all. He doesn't talk like how a human being talks, especially when he's talking about his lust for Padme. And I'm just so weirded out every time he talks about her in that form of a way. I just see you and all I can think to do is choke you while making love to you. I think <laughs> Hayden Christensen is also like weird commentary, but like a little bit too tall, a little bit too big for this role in some ways. We're supposed to get this perception that Anakin is still on the cusp between Padawan and Jedi Knight, that he is still young for all the ways that Obi-Wan is perhaps treating him a little too much like a child. He is 19 years old. That's, you know, not old by any means. And I think even though Hayden Christensen was himself around 20 at the time of filming, he looks like 25. Easy. He also inherited Obi-Wan's rat tail. Well, that's actually uh, part of Jedi culture. That's a Padawan learner braid. I don't know why that's something they chose to put into canon. It's a weird fashion choice. I'm really glad it's not something that like caught on or anything. It's like your hair lightsaber. I guess. Like, I think you're not supposed to cut it until you become a Jedi Knight. It's to see how much humiliation you can take before you turn to the dark side. I, mean, I just realized Mace Windu is really powerful because he's bald. Mace Windu is really powerful for a million reasons, including his gorgeous purple lightsaber. Which was his request for the film, Samuel L. And, like, he really gets me in that regard. <laughs> friend, friend of the pod, Samuel L. 
uh, Samuel, yeah. who is just Samuel. I really respect Samuel L. Jackson for a million reasons. He wanted to put his own touch on it and said, "If I'm going to play in your sandbox, I got to be allowed to bring my own shovel." I like his attitude. I like his energy. But you know, one of the things that's really strange about this opening is the chase sequence seems completely disconnected from the rest of the film. And I feel like they're trying to use it to show the impending darkness in Anakin, the way that he screams at the bounty hunter, tell us now, but it just sort of comes out as like a screech more than a yell. It doesn't come across as dark so much as like pedantic. Some of his anger in the film is a little bit too childlike like they couldn't find the balance between what was the moment that should seem childlike and what should seem dark i also found that the film didn't really feel like it picked up on anything that phantom menace left off on and I was really used to every Star Wars movie picking up where the last one left off. I even came to realize that The Phantom Menace sort of picks up where Empire leaves off, if you really think about like a cyclical storytelling narrative. But I do not feel Attack of the Clones picks up where Menace leaves off. And I wonder if that's about the 10 years between and the attempt to separate itself from the light humor that people seem to deride in the first episode. I also think that the chase sequence is filled with some pretty inherent flaws. You know, Obi-Wan is like, don't do anything rash, and then does something immediately rash, and then still scolds Anakin for doing something rash a moment later. I can't help but feel like this is that inherent flaw in you can't show emotion. Like, I constantly felt like the Jedi Council was showing emotion and like, ah, but we're not being emotional. And I'm like, ah, but you're behaving with suspicion and you are behaving with distrust. And these are feelings. It almost reminded me of episode six, where the first about half hour of that movie kind of doesn't have anything to do with anything else besides saving the rest of the cast it felt really removed and like there was nothing to do with anything except for gathering details about where the bullet came from i can definitely see what you're saying and in that regard the sequence goes on both too long and yet not long enough to really justify trying to be either just a quick chase sequence or a whole mini story to itself You know, I keep joking that like, oh, I can't wait to get to episode three. I can't wait to get to episode three, which is my least favorite of all nine films. And, you know, we're not getting there anytime soon. Not just because we have like 632 episodes of four different versions of the Clone Wars between now and then. And not just because there's like 55 more forces of destiny, but also because we're going to have to split this one in two. Star Wars, long time ago, lots of information, got a lot to get through. And until we come back, Dylan, where can everybody find you online? Hey, everybody can find me online at my x-men facebook group that is titled house of x or you can find me on instagram at warpath underscore dylan that is warpath underscore d-y-l-a-n Ah, and I love being in House of X. Like, I've been getting more and more active in it lately. It's actually been a lot of fun because I post some really weird shit and people like it anyway. It's really, yeah, it's been really fun. (laughs) Uh, Jonah, other than on, I think, every day of the week you release a show on this network, where can everybody find you? 
Uh, actually, I'm almost on every single day of the week. I just need Wednesday and Friday. Joey, let me know what I can be on and I'll, I'll do that. You can find me on other episodes of HTML, such as Rap Battle and Dark Phoenix Apocrypha. If you'd like to hear me talk about comic books with Dylan and Nico and Kevo, you can find me on X's for Podcast on shows such as We Are Krakoa and 80s Mutant Mania. Or if you want to follow me online and see me post shirtless pictures of me or pictures of my tattoos, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. Kevo, I feel like you keep being concerned that you have like overtaken our life with Star Wars, but I've actually really enjoyed this deep dive and it's been really fun to trace the ways in which Star Wars like kind of affected our fandom in really positive ways. I agree. This is certainly bringing a lot of new feelings, new thoughts, and new perspective about the whole Star Wars franchise to the surface. And other than on our amazing, super inclusive, super amazing superhero comic, Kid Riot, over at KidRiotComics.com, celebrating its fifth awesome year of publishing, where can everybody find you online? You can find me on Instagram and Twitters at KevoReally, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y, and you can find me posting ad nauseum over on the Facebook page for this lovely program at Real Nico Kevo Action. Nico, where can the folks at home find you? You guys can find me all over this amazing network on everything everybody said. You can find me posting over on House of X, like Dylan said. You know what? You can find me taking off my shirt over at Nico Action, N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And until we come back, and until we come back, guys, lift up your Kybal crystals. May the Force be with you, and also with your spirit. In the name of the Father, Why can't you get it wrong? Anakin. Spirit. Ghost. The ho- the, and the force ghost. The horny force ghost. The yes. horny force ghost. Amen. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>